Hello, and welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. I'm Benjamin Ensor, Director of Research and Strategy at 11FS. In today's episode, we're asking, how do community banks stay relevant in 2023? Community banks, as a concept, are everything customers often say they want from a financial institution. A bit like the Bailey Building and Loan in the film It's a Wonderful Life, an organisation that invests in the local community that it serves with a strong understanding of its customers' needs and sources of income and a local physical presence on Main Street. But between the years 2000 and 2020, the total number of community banks in America decreased from over 8,300 to merely 4,277. That's a steep decline, even as banking generally has become more consolidated and more globalized. So in this show, we've put together a panel of amazing guests to discuss what is the role of the community bank in 2023? What are the biggest challenges to these institutions? And how do these banks, some dating back to the 1800s, stay relevant in the modern world? We'll discuss all this and more in today's show. But first, a few brief messages. So please don't go anywhere. A lot of you know 11FS for our chart-topping podcasts, our events, videos, reports, and a bunch of other cool stuff that we do. But what a lot of you don't know is that this is just all our side hustle. We do so much more than that. At 11FS Ventures, we're partnering with ambitious businesses around the world to design, build, and launch truly digital financial services. We are building banks, shaping new propositions, and growing existing offerings that change the fabric of financial services. And our design, research, strategy and engineering experts are working to improve your customer's relationship with money. To find out a little bit more, check us out at 11fs.com forward slash ventures. Hello and welcome LFG people to Fintech Insider. Blockchain Insider. 11FS Spotlight. 11FS Explores. Open mic night. After dark. Through our podcasts, videos, newsletters, and live events, we have a direct line to a truly global fintech community. So if you're looking to sponsor and collaborate on content that connects with everybody from fintech beginners to the biggest VCs, then chat to our team at sponsors at 11fs.com or visit 11fs.com to find out more. Long live the community. Let's get started. As always, I'm joined by a panel of wonderful guests who are going to shed some light on this really interesting topic. First off, it's a FinTech Insider debut for Rohit Mathur, head of Bridge Built by City. Thank you so much for being here, Rohit. Can you briefly tell our listeners a little bit about you and a little bit about Bridge by City? Sure. Uh, thank you guys for having me. My name is Rohit Mathur. Uh, I'm head of Bridge Built by City. Uh, you know, Bridge is a platform that connects small and medium-sized businesses with regional community banks and CDFIs. We have 75 plus lenders on our platform and we collaborate with corporates like our recently announced partnership with Walmart to provide access to their 10,000 plus SMB suppliers. Um, at the soul of it, you know, Bridge is trying to provide access to both sides. We believe there's an access challenge on the SMB side towards access to capital, but we also believe there's an access challenge on the, on the community bank side to provide them additional access to those SMBs. And so Bridge is a connector that can do both. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us. We've also got a welcome return to Fintech Insider for Josh Williams, Chief Banking Officer of Seattle Bank. Welcome back, Josh. Can you remind our audience about you and your role at Seattle Bank, please? Uh, sure. Thanks, Benjamin. Uh, great to be here. 
Uh, Seattle Bank is an independently owned and digitally driven financial institution. We work with retail and business clients uh, here locally through our boutique bank, as well as nationally through our partner banking uh, business, which provides banking as a service and embedded banking solutions. Um, we additionally in 2022 we launched uh, CD Valet, which is a modern marketplace for CD consumers and uh, FIs that are looking to uh, access uh, better sources of liquidity. Uh, I joined Seattle Bank nine years ago as Chief Banking Officer. Uh, in 2021, uh, shifted and uh, am now head of partnerships to lead the partner banking uh, business. And uh, prior to joining Seattle Bank, I was with Wells Fargo for about 16 years. Excellent. Thank you. Well, welcome back. And lastly, I'm joined by my 11FS colleague, Kate Moody, Customer Strategy Director at 11FS. It's great to have you here, Kate. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about you and the work you've done around community banking, please? Sure, absolutely. So um, I kind of have the lucky position at 11FS where I just get to be nosy about customers for, for a living. So whenever we're working with partners to design and launch new propositions, we kind of really, really passionately believe that the most important place to start is is with that customer pain point, that customer job to be done, and then to really work out what the solutions are that, that come out from that. So that's what I what I get to do for a living, which is, which is wonderful. Um, I'm really, really interested in this sort of very unique community banking space in the US. I think it's like a, a hugely interesting phenomenon in, in the US in particular. Um, I've had, I probably should declare, I've had the privilege of working with, with Rohit before, kind of in the very early stages of, of the of the bridge work. So I think we spoke to loads of, of community banks as part of that early design process. And generally, you know, across the ventures team at Alone First, we work with a really wide variety of, of banking clients all across the, the financial spectrum in the US uh, and in Canada as well. Fantastic. Well, thank you all for joining and let's dive in. I think it'd be good to start with an overview of community banks as a concept. And Josh, I'd like to come to you first. How do we define community banks? And for sort of non-American listeners, you know, how is a community bank different to a credit union? I mean, maybe that's a question some Americans have too, right? What, what, what is a community bank and, and, and what defines a community bank? Yeah, I think this is a really important both for um, thinking about the challenges the industry faces, but also uh, the challenges uh, from an economic and just community standpoint. Um, it's interesting, I'd say over the last, say, 20 years, we started describing community banks as an object, essentially, right, a certain type of institution, rather than thinking about community banking as a business, the same way we would investment banking or corporate banking. You know, it wasn't that long ago um, that essentially community banking was something that almost all banks uh, participated in. As you mentioned in the opening uh, sort of comments, at one point that was nearly 10,000 banks. And really uh, all banks were part of that community banking ecosystem. And what was unique about that was that uh, before technology really started to have a larger impact in banking, smaller banks often were at a par or even an advantage to larger banks in community banking because what they had was proximity, they had relationships, they had local knowledge, and for the types of services that community banks provide, um, that put them at a, at a relative advantage. Um, and obviously that's starting to shift and that's what we're starting to see uh, sort of the symptoms of uh, in terms of some of the changes in the marketplace. Rohit, why, why have community banks, or, or as Josh said, community banking, why, has, why have community banks or community banking, why has that been important to, to the U.S. economy? What, what's been the role of, of community banking? Yeah, I mean, look, the U.S. is a unique financial market, right, uh, where 
I don't, there's no other country where this is true, but there's 4,300 plus banks in the U.S., right? There's probably 6,000 credit unions. There are other entities called CDFI loan funds. There's a lot of financial providers. It's the largest economy in the world. And so it makes sense that you would have a lot of capital providers. But if you kind of look at those 4,300 community, you know, 4,300 banks, a majority of them, right? Over 4,000 of them are what you would define as a community bank. Um, and that means they've got kind of less than 10 billion or so in assets, right? And, and people have different definitions, but, but by any definition, a majority of the banks in the U.S. are community banks. The reason they're important, you know, I think a lot of what Josh said, right? Uh, they, are, uh, they are very core to the sort of ethos of the U.S., right? So they are, they are great lenders to communities, right? So they're great lenders to SMBs, which are in those communities. They're great lenders to individuals who are looking for mortgages and looking for personal banking in those communities. Um, they are embedded into those communities. So they help sponsor the Little League game, right? Or they help sponsor, uh, you know, a, an event in that community. And they are kind of intertwined with that community being successful, uh, which, which really makes them very important. So the, U, the U.S. is, I think, unique uh, in that they have so many banks, right? And it makes sense from the size of the economy. But then community banking is so vital for this economy as well. I also think adding on to Rohit's comment there, I think it's, um, as is often the case with banking, right, to really get our arms around it, it's trying to think of both sides of the equation, right? So in community banking, the right hand was per, uh, historically bringing in deposits and providing related services, whether that's checking, debit cards, online banking. And with those deposits, then doing those lending activities that Rohit talked about, whether that was consumer mortgages or on the uh, commercial real estate or small business lending, and the point is that in community banking, you have to essentially be able to compete on both sides of that equation. And so what's actually happening is that we're seeing uh, sort of different parts of banking are being impacted differently uh, as how this is evolving. And so on the one hand, while we've seen real consolidation in community banking as it relates to, uh, say, deposits, we continue to see community banking having an outsized impact in lending. And that imbalance is where we're now starting to see both the challenge on the bank uh, sort of board of directors and balance sheets to figure out where to drive that strategy, but also more broadly, as we think about in the community and the economy, where are going to be the sources of that capital allocation? That's a really, really interesting point. Kate, I want to bring you in at this point. Who who banks with community banks? I mean, to that point Josh was making about deposits, who are the people who are depositing with community banks? What have you... I mean, I think it's, I think the two things that I find particularly interesting is one, I think, as we already alluded to, there is this big skew for, for small businesses, like small businesses and community banks are a really, really strong partnership. I think, you know, from different stats, but, you know, it's estimated that community banks provide roughly sort of 60% of all small business loans. I think that really, really skews in particular sectors as well. So, you know, in the agricultural sector, it's even more important. There's an even greater degree of specialism there. And there's also, I think, a really interesting a sort of regional element to this as well is that community banks are, are much more important in some parts of the US than others. So um, in you know, North Dakota, for example, 79% of consumer and business deposits were held at community banks. You know, I think that's sort of vaguely similar figures in places like Kansas and Iowa, whereas when you look at California, you know, it's more like 9%, New York, 5%. So these are, are institutions which are especially important to very specific parts of, of the US community uh, as, as a specific example. Josh, I'd love to pick up with you on this this point about what the advantages are of this kind of relationship banking and knowing your community better. Um, does that produce tangible advantages? Does it enable community banks to maybe 
price more accurately, to be a bit smarter in some of their decision-making. Are there still advantages there, or have those advantages been eroded? Yeah, there are absolutely advantages. I think it's important to step back and look at uh, which type of business or what type of uh, uh, problem are we trying to solve, uh, to use Kate's an earlier reference. Essentially, um, the disruption, let's start with the disruption. The reason that technology has been so disruptive to community banking is it essentially, one, drove up uh, costs that had to be incurred to roll out technology, and two, drove down the volume of traffic into branches. And in that sense, for certain types of products, it really did start to create advantages around digital distribution as opposed to physical distribution. But if you look at the markets and the products where that's occurred, it's generally in highly commodified products. So a great example of this is a mortgage, right? If you have a conventional mortgage, you're a W-2 wage earner, a rocket mortgage has figured out how to do that really well. And that makes it difficult for a community bank to compete with that level of uh, technology and just customer experience. But as we start to think about examples where there's a a higher degree of variability, uh, need for customization or personalization, those are areas that don't lend themselves well to technology in general and where you don't see the same types of economies of scale uh, because you can't essentially uh, build or design to, to meet that type of variability. So the places where community banks continue to have an advantage uh, are those areas where you see more complexity, more need for local knowledge, more needs for personalization. And so I think the examples uh, Kate mentioned are spot on in terms of um, uh, small businesses, uh, ag lending, uh, working with community uh, organizations and nonprofits. But frankly, even individuals, uh, the reality is if anyone's ever had to go into a bank and try to say help uh, get elderly parents access to their banking accounts or get a power of attorney or something to solve really important life problems, um, that's very difficult to do when you're dealing with an environment that's built to be highly automated. It's built to deal with, uh, frankly, fairly low-skilled workers in terms of what their ability to do to solve complex financial problems are. And that's where having that relationship, that proximity, the ability to go work with someone who understands you, the community, and the relevant factors has just a huge uh, impact on what the outcome is going to be. And I think there was a particularly a prominent example of this during COVID, right? I think the community banks were so much better placed to really respond quickly when when the pandemic first struck. You know, when that first wave of the sort of paycheck protection program came out, I think there was about $350 billion in, in loans that needed to be issued, um, you know, guaranteed by the federal government, but those applications had to go through a bank. And in that first round, despite the fact that community banks sort of hold about 15, 1.5% of loans in the total US banking system, in the first round, they processed 660% of the program's funding. So kind of when that crisis hit, it was those community-focused organisations that were picking up the phones, were answering customers directly and really helping to kind of get that credit where it needed to get fast. Um, and I think that was you know, a huge testament to some of these important values, Josh, that you've you've highlighted about the connection to the community. And also you know, a really interesting tipping point, I think, for the sector as a whole, because a lot of, obviously, the majority, I think, of those credit takers were existing customers. But from what I can see, community banks were much better at onboarding new customers during that time as well. So the majority of you know, larger banks were issuing that credit to their established customers, whereas I think the community banks were much better at you know, onboarding new customers. So hopefully gaining new customers at that moment of, of crisis that will now have really seen the value of that localised relationship. So I think obviously many, many negatives of COVID, but really shining a light on some of these intrinsic values of the community 
banking space. A few, a few silver linings. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. Exact. And I think, you know, the other thing that that shows, right, I think we, we, we talk about it a lot of times, it's kind of either or, right? You actually need both. You need the large banks, you need the community banks. And so I think that, you know, it's vital, right, for, for SMBs, so small, I mean, I think the stat that you just said, Kate, is very, it holds very true to that because a lot of the clients of those community banks are small and medium-sized businesses. And a lot of the CARES Act programs were directed towards those small and medium-sized businesses. So it makes sense that they were lending more uh, to their, you know, there was an outsized sort of proportion that they were, they were being able to um, service, right? And, and I think that really, I think the country, a country and an economy as large as the US, you kind of need a thriving banking system, both on the community banking side and on the regional banks and with the large corporate banks, right? You kind of need all three of those. And by the way, there's enough space for fintechs to kind of take, take care segments that, that can't be banked by any three of those to bank them as well. But there's a lot of sort of demand and you need all of these sort of different uh, institutions to participate in that for the economy to be successful. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And I, again, I think that I think it's it's both important um, from the capital side, but also then to understand, well, how does that capital get generated? Right. It gets generated by deposit acquisition uh, primarily. That's ultimately what drives so much efficiency to the capital markets of the U.S. is a stable banking system. You know, we have strong FDIC. Um, and so it's always important to be able to look at that and say, to what extent are we uh, are our institutions uh, able to basically continue to compete on both sides of that. Um, but totally agree with Rohit's point. Like the goal here is not that it should all be community banking. There are going to be transactions and risks that we will want very, very big banks to take because they can take that less risk, right? Um, you know, think of it, JP Morgan survived the London whale. Um, that would have wiped out hundreds, hundreds of banks, right? Based on the size of it. So it makes sense that we have large and small. It's just a recognition of, um, really at either end of the spectrum, what's the right fit for that? What's the right strategy? And then, and then how do you get good alignment around where those relative strengths and limitations are? Definitely. Well, let's move on to some of the challenges um, facing community banks and community banking today. Rohit, I'd love to come back to you on this one. Um, so, you know, I talked about there's a decline in the numbers of uh, community banks. Is that just consolidation or does it also reflect some some severe business challenges facing some of the community banks? And if so, you know, what have been some of the um, factors that have driven a decline in community banking? Because, you know, Josh and Kate have talked very positively about all the, all the great things about community banking, but but it isn't all sunny, is it? No, I mean, I think, I think you know, uh, we're seeing disruption across sectors, right? I think that's just a fact of, of the environment we live in. There's great innovation, and the, on the other side of innovation is, is, is disruption to sort of establish players, right? Um, I think I kind of think of it differently, right, where communities are changing as well, right? So I think 50 to 75 years ago, most, most sort of businesses were more brick and mortar, right? And so the community banker kind of knew the businesses in that community because you could kind of see the storefronts or you could see the offices and you could walk in and say, hey, you know, I'm your community banker. That has changed, right? Mm -hmm. Most communities now don't have those businesses that are brick and mortar. We've moved much more to sort of online. You know, you, you, you don't know, it, it could be someone's house, right? That could be running a multi-million dollar business <laughs> inside of it, which is which is selling goods on, on you know, through, through these great marketplaces, right? And so I think communities are changing, which has then obviously led to technology playing a much larger role in finding 
these uh, these banks, right? And so at Bridge, we totally believe in the sort of access challenges is one of the biggest challenges that face community banks, right? How do you get access to these these in these businesses that may be in your community, but the way that you were sort of finding those businesses, the way you were prospecting them 50 years ago, 75 years ago, cannot be the way that you prospect them over the next 30 years. Um, and so we've seen great examples of that as well uh, over the last year uh, of how we can help facilitate that access. But I think access and just the changing communities uh, and the changing type of businesses is probably one of the largest challenges I've seen. Josh, I, we're talking about U.S. banking at the moment, we, we can't avoid the, the, the topic of sort of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank and so on. With the, I, I, I get that Silicon Valley Bank was a lot bigger than a typical community bank, um, but was was that a risk? Was there a fear of contagion for sort of community banks and and community banking? You know, through through that period of you know a few weeks ago. Uh, definitely no fear of contagion, right? I, I think um, fortunately this was very different than uh, sort of the great financial crisis where there was so much interlinkage of opaque assets and that created uh, just a high degree of systemic risk. Um, you know, community banks on the whole are very well capitalized. We have really strong credit right now coming out of this cycle and uh, and access to liquidity is good. There's no question though that it put into focus this concept of, hey, how strong is my bank? Uh, how does FDIC insurance work? Like a lot of things that people had just taken mm. for granted for a long time, I think came back into focus. Um, fortunately, uh, you know, Silicon Valley Bank was an extreme example of very bad interest rate risk management and highly concentrated business practices. And so uh, while it's a huge loss, I'm also unfortunate that happened. It one was very, very isolated. And two, I think as cooler heads prevailed, it was pretty quickly evident that that's not widely seen in the banking industry overall. And so the risks to depositors, uh, broadly speaking, um, were, were essentially were, were low and in most cases non-existent. Most depositors do not have anywhere near the amount of insurance uh, for any individual, right? And then on top of that, the government essentially said they're going to make that an unlimited coverage when needed. So there just isn't a risk to, to depositors in the U.S. banking system. Uh, so, so I think the good news is, no, that's not a contagion risk. I do just want to come back to the challenges of community banks, because I, I absolutely am not mm. here to say that there are no challenges. What I would say is I think the most uh, fundamental structural challenge to, com to community banking is technology, right? In the sense that what technology has enabled is the ability to drive much higher economies of scale on those commoditized products, on those highly um, formulaic products. And that's meant that one, larger banks who can spend more on tech are gonna be more competitive in those types of products. And two, it's enabled FinTechs to come and bring on, you know, great customer experiences and very narrow product sets. And, the, and with each one of those, they're pulling one more sort of uh, arrow out of the quiver of community banking institutions. And so that's why it's creating a fundamental challenge to, to the future. That said, uh, community banks still are solving a need that is not, not well met for all the reasons I just listed. And so I think that the important thing is to, as we think about innovation, it's making sure that when we think about innovating, we're innovating for what the needs are of community banking, i.e., how do we get capital and services to communities and the businesses and people to make them up, not innovating to make a specific type or size of bank look a certain way. I think that's really where the, the biggest long-term challenge is. Kate, I'd love to bring you in on that, that challenge of, of sort of 
embracing technology, as, as, as Josh rightly says. How, how can community banks start to sort of become truly digital? How, how far do they need to go? I mean, Josh is right. You know, the big banks do have more money to spend on technology. How can community banks kind of catch up and or compete with that? Well, I think it's a very delicate balance because I think as, as Josh has illustrated, lots of these big banks have been focusing on like these economies of scale, of taking these previously human-delivered processes and just digitizing those, what we would describe as, as digitizing those. So really what we've talked about so far has been the value of community banks is more about that true customer experience. Like how do you understand what that fundamental problem that your customer is trying to trying to solve and then create an end-to-end journey that that solves for that. And I think there's always an inclination to think, you know, how do we just take a sort of human-led service and just move that into the digital world? And I don't think that's the answer for community banks. Community banks, to find that point of continuing relevance, need to, more than any sort of big bank, really need to nail that hybrid model of what is it that you're going to use from your physical presence in a community and what is it that you're going to build out in the digital environment to allow you to continue to take that relationship with your customers further out into the future. Because I think the main challenge that community banks face is that you know, your customers are, are, are getting older generally um, and that kind of younger customer base just without doubt has an expectation of being able to do certain things in a digital environment. They'll still want to come for that human-led experience in those more challenging moments, in that in those moments where that nuance and that understanding can really well can be delivered really well by, by that human-led relationship. But if you can't deliver part, key parts of that everyday banking experience digitally, you're, you're just going to struggle to retain the customers, to have any right to relationship with them when, when things get more complex. So that's why I was so excited to work with, you know, like Rohit and the team is in that, that approach to really try and think about what are the parts of the relationship which you can work with partners. You know, it's not about saying that community banks have to build everything themselves. Like what do you want to build yourself and own yourself? And where do you want to work with partners to kind of create access or give you tooling that you don't have to build and maintain yourself. I think that's a really, really interesting space. I do want to hear from Rohit on this, but I I just wanted to point out. So uh, for example, yes, it's true that we are seeing uh, as as customers get younger and they have higher digital adoption, uh, how they do their consumer banking very well might has changed, right? No question. And COVID really drove that forward for everyone, right? But as we just said earlier, and the numbers, as I understand it, are 70% 70% of commercial real estate lending is done by community banks. Of that, 90% is two small businesses. Those businesses are not, quote, getting older. They're not, you know, they're not getting younger. The point is that is a need that community banks can solve and that large banks and so far fintechs have not. So community banks are not losing their customers. They're losing access to depositors. Now, that's a problem that needs to be solved. But this idea that oh, community banks are no longer relevant or there's no hope are both completely misguided. They're absolutely relevant. They're actually continuing to solve problems that other players in the market are not solving. Um, And so now the question is, how do we leverage technology to make sure that they can still get the access to funding that they need? And I think there are plenty of ways to do that. But I definitely want to hear Rohit on this as well. Yeah, look, I think I think it's so interesting, right? Because the core sort of competence and the benefit of a community bank is that they're in the community. And so by saying, hey, every community bank should just go online and be on the cloud, then what differentiates a community bank from a fintech or from a, from a large bank, right? I think the benefit, and to Josh's point, you know, 
you know, this is maybe not the sort of millennial thing to say, right? But I think there's still a huge need for human relationship managers, especially for small businesses. I totally agree with Josh. If I'm doing my checking account or if I'm trying to withdraw money uh, for, for whatever, right? I definitely want to do it on an app. But if you're a small business owner, there, you know, there isn't sort of something as simple as a consumer account, right? So you have so many questions. And, and I think two recent examples. One with COVID. What was the first thing that happened through COVID? People wanted to call up their relationship managers. You didn't want to sit on an FAQ website and say, oh, this is what I can do or cannot do. You don't want to talk to a machine. You wanted to talk to your relationship manager at the bank and say, hey, my business is going through this. What can you do for me? Second example, right? With, with even with SP, SVB, right? Everyone was calling their bankers. At that time, everyone wanted to talk to someone, wanted to be reassured. So, so to kind of bring a couple of those points together, you know, I, I think that it's really the merger of these technologies, right? Using technology in areas where you should be, which we think is prospecting, help with credit analysis, you know, help, help moving the process, help move the process faster. But at the same time, stay core to what those community banks are, which is supporting the community, which is being there to pick up the phone, which is being there if your SMB clients need need access or need have questions that they want answered. And look, I don't think there's anyone yet who has fit the perfect balance, right, of using technology and using the kind of human touch to, to make this easier. But I think there's a lot of people attempting to do that. And I think there's a huge space there for community banks to really prosper. Last very quick question in this section for, for UK. Do you think there's a recognition among community banks about the sort of importance of innovation? I mean, Josh put it well, saying, you know, the challenge is finding depositors. Have you, have you come across a sort of wider recognition of some of the challenges? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, when you know, Rohit and the team were kind of doing that initial design part of Bridge, you know, we went and spoke to lots of different individuals in, in community banks. We were asking them, you know, what are the challenges that they face? What is it they're trying to achieve? And without doubt, all of them knew that they needed to adapt and change and evolve. Um, they all had slightly different approaches for doing that. They all had slightly different constraints. They had different areas of specialism, different regional biases and excuse like Everyone was different in many ways, but they were all united by the fact of recognizing that they couldn't just stand still. So, yeah, I, I, these aren't organizations that have their, you know, their heads in the sand. They, they know that they need to continue to adapt what they do to thrive. But I think Josh absolutely agree with everything you said. But, you know, it's about finding the right way to sort of incrementally change about it being a huge like, oh, my God, everyone panic. Like, that's not what we're talking about here at all. OK, we're just going to take a quick pause here and we will be back very shortly. This episode is sponsored by Blinkist. The Blinkist app offers distilled content from over 5,000 non-fiction books and podcasts in an audio-first experience, so you can easily fit them into your day, letting you learn new things all on the go. Discover a friend of the show Dan McCrum's Money Men, his journey to exposing the Wirecard scandal, all within 20 minutes. Sounds pretty good, huh? Well, right now, Blinkist has a special offer just for you, our FinTech Insider listeners. Go to Blinkist.com forward slash fintech to start your seven-day free trial and get 25% off a Blinkist premium membership. And now for a limited time, you can even use Blinkist Connect to share your premium account with a friend or partner and get two premium subscriptions for the price of one. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com forward slash fintech. Okay, so having looked at some of the biggest challenges facing community banking, let's start thinking about some of the sort of solutions that will help 
community banks stay relevant uh, to the future. So let's think about some of the challenges. Um, Rohit, you know, are there partnerships that community banks can form with each other or bigger players? Obviously, that's something you've been you know, doing at, at, at City. Um, are there ways in which bigger players like City or maybe Wells Fargo or whatever can, can support and partner with community banks and community banking rather than just sort of try and compete with them? And Tell us a little bit about your th- some of your thinking at Bridge by City. Yeah, absolutely. Like we, I think City as an institution, right, has partnered with a number of community banks. Um, you know, we saw over the last couple of years, City has partnered in various different ways with minority-owned banks, which are all community banks. Um, in fact, over the next two days, we're going to be at the diverse financial institutions team at Cities. They're having a conference which has 16 or 20 community banks which are coming to the Citibank headquarters. We're going to be talking to the CEOs. Those CEOs are are meeting with different uh, leaders at City, including our including our CEO Jane Fraser and others, right? Where they are being able to kind of share ideas, you know, understand what the best practices are, see see ways where we can collaborate. And so I think there's a huge uh, opportunity for community banks to partner with each other and to partner with large institutions, right? Um, at Bridge Built by City, what we have seen is that there is a there is a great way to help community banks, you know, partner with a large institution and with our corporate clients. So we've been able to kind of form the link between, you know, Walmart with the 10,000 plus small business suppliers, right? Who need access to capital and are looking for ways to access capital. Walmart as an institution that is looking for ways to help their suppliers access that capital. And then that capital actually being provided by the 70, 75 lenders we've got on our platform, most of which are community banks, right? And and what City is doing by building the platform, by, by maintaining bridge built by City is really forming that link. So to the point that was made earlier, you know, City has the ability to build the technology, maintain it, you know, and has these partnerships. And that's exactly what we're doing. The community banks are really good at lending to these small and medium-sized businesses in those communities. And we're helping just get those businesses to meet with those community banks to be able to do that. So, you know, I'm I'm obviously biased, but I think there's a huge potential here uh, for, for small and medium-sized businesses, community banks, large corporates, and large banks to work very closely together. Um, and I think it serves all of them. One of the things I noticed in the in the partnership you've you've built with Walmart is sort of Walmart and, and City talking about inclusion and trying to make sure you've got a wide roster of different banks representing different communities. Kate, I'd like to bring you in here. We often think of sort of community as being sort of physical or geographical community, you know, and it's in the names of banks like, you know, Josh's Seattle Bank, right? That community banks are often named after the geographic community that they serve. But of course, there's all sorts of other human communities as well. How important is sort of inclusion? Is there is there a path for community banks to serve specific communities, whether those are sort of ethnic or cultural communities or business communities or... I mean, I think the opportunity is, is definitely there. We've we've seen fintechs for sure kind of try and move into that space of taking that more sort of like human community orientated approach, like, like the Greenwood and places, things like that in the States. My understanding, you know, Josh, call me out on this if I'm, if I'm wrong, is that if you just look at the stats, it kind of can appear on the surface that, you know, minority groups don't have as, as big a proportion of community customer bases as, as they do sort of at the whole population level, which I don't think anyone is saying is about you know, discrimination in any shape or form. It's more just about where these banks are 
uh, you know, tend to be clustered in the US. You know, they tend to kind of not be necessarily in these urban centres where some of these minority you, groups. You said earlier they're more in rural areas. Yeah, you know, that's my understanding. Josh, you know, obviously, call me out true. if it's wrong. But you know, so at the moment, I don't believe that. Obviously, we know that there are minority-owned uh, institutions which which do an amazing job. But across the community bank sector as a whole, it feels like there's still an opportunity for there to be further outreach um, and and further kind of um, you know, relationship building with, with some of those communities. Not out of a lack of trying, but I think just because the historical model hasn't lent itself to it. But Josh, I'd love to get your take. Yeah, well, first, I think, um, you know, the entire financial services industry, uh, large banks, small banks, fintechs, all should be thinking about financial inclusion. Um, And I think mostly, I think the statistics you're referring to, Kate, it really reflect the fact that most of the consolidation and community banking has happened in urban areas where large banks could get huge returns on building a branch network in dense populations. So that's why you end up with whatever the numbers were, 90% of deposits in South Dakota being the community banks. Um, It just comes down to population density. So I suspect that's much more of uh, just pure stats. But I think the much more, I guess, maybe intrinsic problem and one that, again, we should all be thinking about how to solve is, in many cases, these groups that we're talking about already uh, experience certain disadvantages to accessing all of the benefits of our society, and especially economic wealth building, etc. And so I think the question then is, given that, that makes those difficult communities to bank and I think, or to provide banking and financial services too. And so I think now the question is, as we look at new technologies, new business models in financial service, what are ways that we can start to make that, um, that we can start to break down some of that and create new paths? And I think um, some of the things that Rohit talked, uh, talked about are examples of that, right? If you have an act, if you have a pool of capital from a captive customer, I don't mean captive, meaning an engaged and sort of willing customer uh, that says, hey, we have this capital, we want to know that it's going to have an additional contribution to our community, go lend it. Well, that that's that helps solve a huge problem, right? And I think that's part of the uh, minority depository institution or MDI model is being able to say, how can we go source capital strategically and then go deploy it in a way that's going to meet certain ends? And I do think those are um, in, in similar ways that community banks uh, more broadly can start to leverage technology to solve problems in new ways. I think uh, CDFIs and MDIs are absolutely doing the same thing. I just wanted to add to that, right? So, well, you know, one third, we are super passionate about minority-owned banks and community banks, right? But but I think just to put some numbers on it, right, there's 4,300 banks in the U.S. Less than 3% of those are minority-owned, Right. You know, there's about 13 banks in the U.S. that are women owned, for example. There's about 20 banks in the U.S. that are black owned. And so if you just look at sort of sort of underserved communities, these are all banks that are focused on underserved communities. Right. Um, We have made it a point. Right. So 16 of the 20 black owned banks in the U.S. are on our platform. You know, we've got four women owned banks. We've got different one third of our lenders are minority owned. And we think it's so important uh, because you know, first you have to acknowledge there has been sort of conscious, unconscious bias. This is an area where I think fintech can help, right? Because it does help at times reduce, uh, you know, conscious and unconscious bias. There are ways of sort of not showing names and email addresses and things of that sort, right? Um, and I think partnering with these minority depository institutions or with CDFIs is a huge opportunity to go and serve underserved communities. Uh, which we know that, you know, they're underserved and we know that everyone has the right intention of trying to serve. Um, and so these are a great, this is a great way to sort of partner to, to get there. 
I'd love to spend more time on this because I think this question of sort of how community banks serve all the communities, you know, they saw is a really important one, but we're going to run out of time if I do that. So instead, I'm going to come back to sort of one of the bigger questions of, okay, how do community banks sort of grow and innovate without the budgets of of a city (laughs) Um, or a a Bank of America? Josh, where do you see the opportunities for, for for community banks like yours to succeed and to create different, better propositions than maybe the big banks can? Where do you see the opportunities to grow? Yeah, well, I think I've already talked a little bit about um, sort of structurally in the market where there are unmet needs or needs that are not well met um, by traditionally large banks or fintechs. Um, I think what's really exciting is... Uh, the evolution in technology that on the one hand has been a challenge for community banks is now starting to become a real enabler uh, to us. And what I mean by that is um, increasingly we're able to go out and build together uh, or put together uh, what I think of as being a configurable, scalable tech stack to go out and then target uh, niche businesses that we can go and execute in where someone else isn't. And, and I think that for us, that idea of thinking about, hey, the goal here is to be configurable is really been uh, pretty eye-opening. And, and we've had a lot of success even in the last year in putting some of those pieces together. For example, we were able to uh, work with a third-party um, underwriting solution called GDS Link, and they provide real-time uh, loan decisioning. Uh, we're working with CSI, which provides real-time documentation, uh, loan doc uh, generation. And so we have now the ability to have a customer come in and work with, in this case, uh, uh, make, a, make apply for a loan and basically have a loan within minutes. And that's a, that's a um, competency that not many of the big banks can do at all, for starters. And then on top of that, we've been able to take that capability and work with a third party, which is a fintech helping small businesses offer their consumers access to financing. So let's say on a f- home improvement project, a uh, customer can now be meeting with their builder, find out what they can afford, value engineer the project to the amount that they can afford and they're approved for, get the loan and move on. That's a huge impact for that consumer, a huge impact for that merchant. Uh, and by the way, a great way for, for us to go out and acquire uh, loans. And it's a very different mindset than if you think of you know, the community bank on Main Street. But what I just described is exactly the community banking business that um, we've said is at the heart of, of what needs to get done and what can't always get uh, easily done if you if your city or B of A and have to have markets that are just overwhelmingly large to make it worth your time. Love it. Okay, well, we're into the last couple of minutes of the show. So I'm going to bring it back to the question we had at the top. Um, so we're gonna have a quick fire round of how do community banks remain relevant in 2023? Kate, how are community banks going to remain relevant in 2023? I think it's the point that Josh has just made. I think it has to be about embracing the fact that you are small and you are, even if you have smaller budgets, you are more nimble. You know, you're able to make decisions quickly. You're probably able to try things out. And you fundamentally have that connection to your customer. You understand your customer. And that is, I mean, I'm biased, but I believe that is so fundamental to actually creating experiences, whether that's a fully digital experience or a digitally supported experience. Like whatever that experience is, if you're connected to your customers, you're so much better place to work out how do we create value that is going to differentiate us in our community. So yeah, embrace the the any you know, continue to embrace the fact that they're small and and try things out. Take, do ex, do experiments and try things that you know. Sorry, Rohit, the likes of City probably would even even though City are relatively nimble. Like you know, City you know will move slower than than Seattle Bank. I'm sure in, in many respects, and I'm sure. 
that's not offensive to anyone. Ro- Rohit, uh, how do community banks remain relevant in 2023? Um, I would say, you know, I agree with everything Kate said. I would, um, I would say embrace technology, right? Embrace technology and embrace partnerships. I think, you know, use the fact that you're nimble and use the fact that you can kind of partner with different organizations. You know, the denominator is also smaller, right? To really move the needle at a community bank, you don't need to kind of produce $500 billion of assets. You can move the needle much quicker as well. Um, And I think the way to move that needle is uh, through technology and through partnerships, right? So, so the more that they can do that, the more that they can partner. And, and obviously, you know, I'm obviously biased and will plug Bridgeville by City as a partner that that is more than willing and 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 excited to partner with as many community banks that that are willing to. Thank you. And Josh, you've given us some brilliant answers already, but um, any final thoughts on how community banks remain relevant? Well, I I think the right question is how large banks and fintechs stay relevant in community banking. (laughs) Community banks are already, uh, the good news is we're already relevant, right? We're doing the majority of community banking today. That said, as we've talked about, there's some significant challenges to how we're going to continue to um, grow and persist. I think the ways to do that are, uh, one, technology has to be a part of it. Two, rethinking our business models in terms of, uh, I think, uh, Bridge by City is a great example. Um, CD Valet, the, um, the initiative that we've launched is an example on the deposit side that's solving similar problems for, for FIs. And then thinking through how you build uh, just sort of a mindset and a culture around that configurability and that scalability that allows community banks to go and continue to execute in areas not well served uh, in the market, but that are essential to our economy and our communities. Fantastic. Well, the three of you have been brilliant, even if two of you say you're obviously biased. Um, <laughs> so I'm, com- thank I'm you completely so unbiased. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Let the, rec- let the record show. <laughs> thank you so much uh, for, for joining me. This is a fantastic discussion. Um, where can people find out a little bit more about uh, you and your companies? Uh, Kate, where can people find out more about you? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, Kate Moody, or on Twitter at K8Moody, and obviously 11FS is on the podcast, which you're already listening to, uh, or at elementfest.com. Josh? Uh, Well, you should uh, check out seattlebank.com as well as cdvalet.com. That's an exciting new uh, marketplace that's serving consumers and FIs. And you can find me on uh, LinkedIn. And Rohit? You can find me on LinkedIn, Rohit Mathur. Uh, You can also go to bridgebuiltbycity.com or bridgebycity.com. Either of those work. Um, And I will also say, you know, while you are searching, I would look up all the community banks and the minority-owned banks in your your communities. Uh, Easy to find, but oftentimes people don't look for them. So that's another thing as you're searching. Wonderful. And as for me, Benjamin Ensor, you can find me uh, on LinkedIn or you can find out more about our work at 11fs.com. So thank you to all of you for listening. Um, I hope you've enjoyed what you've heard. Uh, Please do subscribe. Uh, Do let us know what you'd like to hear about in in future shows. If you want to join the conversation, find us on social media. Just search for 11fs or Fintech Insider or email us at podcasts at 11fs.com. Thank you all so much and goodbye. Goodbye.